Hello, and welcome to the Second Chair Leadership Podcast, episode 27. I'm Josh Cooper, and I'm really excited um, about who is with me today. My guest is Daniel M., and in a moment, I'll let Daniel tell you more about himself. But uh, for those of you who are a part of the Second Chair community, I want you to hear uh, something from me um, that I think Daniel is someone who has added a lot of value to my life. Um, Daniel's someone I'm continuing to learn from through his books, his blog, and all of his podcasts. My only regret is that we can't possibly talk about all the things that I want to talk about in one podcast episode, but I'm absolutely thrilled to talk with Daniel M. about Second Chair Leadership today. So Daniel, I want to welcome you to the show. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, super glad to be on, Josh. When I saw that you launched this and, and was getting ready to launch it, I was super, uh, just incredibly excited for the topic of it. Uh, because secondary leadership is something that's near and dear to my heart. And even when I came down to Lifeway, I really saw my role as being that number two guy for a lot of pastors that don't have that. So I just, I was like, oh, I can't wait for this podcast to launch. So thank you for all the, the endless hours. Uh, I know it takes a lot of time and energy to host and produce a podcast. And it's not something you make a lot of money or even much money on it all, <laughs> right? It's just, it's one of those, it's a calling thing. So thank you for, for uh, giving away your time and, and for the time that we could spend together. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it really means a lot to me. I'm just continually impressed by, um, by leaders and pastors and, and thinkers like you who, who give back to um, us um, who, you know, just like, be, I think the average person that listens to this podcast, honestly, is a second chair leader, or they're in a third chair, and they're desiring to um, climb the ladder in some capacity. And really mm -hmm. what the, the, the heart behind this podcast is, is that you can lead right where you are, you can lead creatively, you can read, you can lead courageously, and you don't have to see um, necessarily where you're at as a stepping stone into a position of greater authority or greater responsibility. Um, and so it's great to be able to talk uh, with guys and gals, um, leaders like you about this topic. Just out of curiosity, before um, kind of get into your backstory, a little bit of your personal life, um, have you mm -hmm. always been a second chair leader or what's your, what's your thought or thinking about second chair leadership in general? Yeah, you know what? Uh, now that I think about it, I think I have always been in a second chair leader role. And when you look at the second chair leader, even when you think about uh, even even within church world, lead pastor positions, even lead pastors, I think they I mean, obviously, they are first chair leaders, but everyone is everyone you know, leads with authority. It's kind of like what the Roman centurion said, right? It's like, I'm a man of authority and I'm a man under authority. Mm. Uh, so I think if a, if a lead pastor is ever the leader with no one that they are reporting to, I think obviously that happens, but I think that's a dangerous place to be. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, you know, with a lack of accountability and a lack of who you're, who you're then submitting to. So yeah, I have been, I have always been in second chair leader roles. Yeah, great. Well, hey, let's back up a little bit and um, sure. tell the folks, tell the listeners a little bit about who you are. Just give us a snapshot of your personal life. Sure, sure. I'll try to be as, as quick as possible. Uh, Korean Canadian, born in Vancouver, born and raised in Vancouver. My, 
my parents immigrated in the 70s and uh, that's kind of how I grew up, uh, the, the context in which I grew up and met my wife on a mission trip with Campus Crusade for Christ up in Canada, now known as Power to Change. And that's where I really discerned a call to ministry. From there, I pastored in church plants and multi-site churches in several different locations across Canada, was in, was in Korea for a couple of years back in Canada, and, and now I'm in the States. So what brought me to the States uh, about four and a half years ago was essentially this vision with uh, from Todd Adkins, Ed Stetzer, Eric Geiger, uh, the three of them just trying to brainstorm and be like, hey, what would it look like if Lifeway were to begin resourcing church planting, multi-site, and multiplication? So with my background mm. in both church plants and multi-sites, uh, context. It was just a. It, it was a. It was a perfect fit that I, I wasn't. I didn't even know existed. I didn't even. Mm. Heck, I didn't even know Lifeway existed as of like five years ago, which mm. probably shows more of my ignorance than anything else because Lifeway is massive. Mm. But maybe it's just. I, it just wasn't the circles that I, I. I grew up in. I didn't grow up Baptist or anything like that either. So it just wasn't on my radar as even something that. I know there are some people who aspire to work at Lifeway. I just, I just didn't even mm. know mm. about Lifeway. So it was neat to discover. Essentially, I was brought down to um, talk about some of my mid-sized community work that I, uh, that I tease out in those silver bullets. And, mm. and then they wanted me to film some videos on that for Ministry Grid. Ministry Grid was just getting launched. So it was just kind of that serendipitous moment, you know, God moment where all of that came together and, uh, we, my wife and I, with our three children, moved down four and a half years ago to to start newchurches.com mm. to work on the Lifeway leadership team. And I mean, there's a ton of different hats that I, I also wear on top of all that, but those are kind of the main the, the main ones. Yeah, yeah. And so, how do, how do you describe your current role in some of the the main hats that you wear? Um, today, because we've already mentioned yeah. um, you're an author and you're a speaker mm-hmm. um, in working with Lifeway and NewChurches.com. Um, so, yeah. so dive into that just a little bit. Talk about your sure. main area of expertise. Okay, sure, sure. So my official title is Director of Church Multiplication for Lifeway. So with that role, it's essentially Lifeway is, is really about resourcing, creating resources. Right. Uh, I mean, so with newchurches.com, when I when I founded that with Ed, it wasn't a matter of funding. It wasn't a matter of even essentially, you know, saying, hey, we are going to accredit or, you know, we're going to fund and and train you to go and be sent out. It was really navigating that line of how do we create the best resources? Mm. Right. And I think that's something that every second chair leader needs to identify because the second chair leader scope is, hey, here is your scope. And even if you're a really high level second chair leader and you're around the executive table and you have to see the entire landscape of everything that's going on in the church, you typically still have a lane that you own and that you need to lead. So with that said, you know our lane was resourcing. So how do we create the best resources to assist church planting, to catalyze multi-site, to catalyze church multiplication? leveraging resources around Lifeway. So, so that's, that's kind of my main hat that I wear on that side. Uh, all the consulting and speaking and everything that I do there, it really rises out of the Lifeway leadership team that I'm on, where we've, I mean, we've now consulted about 4,000 plus church leaders on how to build the leadership pipeline in their context, mm. right? Mm. So that's not 4,000 church leaders who listen to a 30-minute talk from a conference stage. This is 4,000 church leaders that we've 
in a small group, in a small room, said, okay, where are you at? Let's get you to the point where you now have a leadership pipeline for your church and you know the way to get down that road. Because according to our research that we found, I mean, three quarters of church leaders said leadership development was important, but less than a quarter had a plan in place to actually do anything about it. Yeah. So that's where, especially as secondary leaders, I mean, you know the importance of that. You might not have preaching on your docket mm-hmm. um, and, and, and you get that, but you know if you're not a recruiting machine and a, a machine that develops systems so that you can equip the saints for the work of ministry, right. then you're just going to have to hire more people. And that's right. not a solution, right? That's not right. That, that feeds into, into consumers and all that stuff. So that's, that's my life there. I'm also yeah. a teaching pastor at my church. Uh, having said that, I love preaching. And that was a big question mark when we moved down to the States. I was like, I, I still feel called to preach. I still feel called to pastor in that way. And uh, God just, yeah, it's, it's, it's a long story, but it's just really neat to see how God has brought that opportunity up. So I preach a couple times a month there and, and I also write. So um, just finished my third book, which will be out next year. Great. Really looking forward to that. And I think we'd be remiss if we Thanks. failed to mention the podcast too, because yeah, you, yeah, you oh, host yeah, not right one on <laughs> or two podcasts, but three podcasts. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, Josh, here's the thing. Some people hear about everything that I'm saying and they're like, wow, that sounds tiring. I can't even imagine being the person doing all that. Now, having said all that, I don't do everything all by myself. We have great teams. Yeah. We have a great newchurches.com team, uh, a great team for the consulting and doing the events and all that. So we have a, I mean, I am not taking all the credit and all that. And when it comes to two of the podcasts, the New Churches Q&A and the five leadership questions one, I'm a host. I mean, yeah, I organize mm-hmm. the content and all that stuff, but uh, we have a team that that then gets it out, right? The right. one that really is more of a side hustle is the one that I do with my wife, the in-between podcast. Yeah. So we edit that together and we come up, we, we do everything. I mean, we're not making any money off of it. It's just really a, a passion project for the two of us. Yeah. But that's just, that's been really neat to have a podcast together with my wife. And honestly, there are some days where it just feels like we're having a conversation and like we're going yeah. and we're like, oh, actually, I didn't know that about you. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's fun, right? It's fun. And, and anytime you hear stories, Mm-hmm. stories from people benefiting from it or, or it's changed their lives. And even this one person who, you know, invited their friend uh, who didn't know Jesus, her and her mm-hmm. husband listened to an episode, came to their church, joined their life group, yeah. gave their life to Christ. Right. I mean, you know, you hear stories like that and you're like, mm-hmm. okay, yes, mm-hmm. it's worth it. Let's keep on going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I just recently discovered the in-between podcast and I'll provide links to each one of these podcasts in the, in the show notes for today's episode. Um, and I've been trying to catch up quite honestly. And, and you know that because we've, we've chatted a little bit, uh, through social media. Um, but yeah. that po- the, the the in between podcast is one that there are some that you you just tune into occasionally or when you can, and then there, there are other ones where you're like, when an episode comes out, I'm there. Like I'm already looking forward to the yeah. next one, and that's how um, that's how it is for me personally. I mean, oh, I I wasn't I don't think I was you know blowing smoke when I said that you know I'm learning through not just your writing but also through the podcast because. It's really mm. hard, Daniel, to find some really solid marriage podcasts these days, and mm. um, 
and I get requests a lot from here at the church. Um, people know that I'm a podcaster and um, they're looking for recommendations and, and up to, you know, up until recently, just kind of discovering some new ones that, that are Christ centered. Um, they're fun. Mm. They're engaging and, and very, very practical and relevant. And the in-between podcast is right at the top of the list. Um, and so oh, really grateful you, for how, um, it is, it is, um, you know, from, from what I have learned from you and your wife. And so it's a really cool thing that you two are doing there. So that's really great. I really appreciate it. Thank you, man. You bet. Well, as you thought about it and, um, you knew this question was coming, um, as you kind of think back in your own past and your professional life, maybe it kind of dives into the personal moments too. Um, what do you think are some of the defining moments in your in your life or in your career that led to where you are today? Um, I know when I yeah. look back at my own life, I can see that there were significant milestones or these these moments or these short seasons, maybe even a little bit slightly longer seasons, where man, God was God was really moving. Um, things were happening mm. that really served as launching pads to um, to to set me on a new path or in a new course. Um, so what were some of those defining moments for you? That's a great question. Um, well, probably the, the latest one or the one that I, I seem to be talking about a lot uh, is, is probably what happened, I think around 2012, when I gave up my life master plan. <laughs> mm. So I had stumbled into, um, through my through graduate studies, uh, Bobby Clinton's work, The Making of a Leader. And when I came across his material, it was it was some of the most insightful material around leadership development that I had encountered up until that point. And I still have it, such a high view of it because it talks about patterns around you know seasons of ministry life and all that stuff. Now, what I did with that was I then said, okay, if this is how it is, I'm going to create my own master plan of my entire life. And and it is one of those exercises, and I do think it was. A helpful exercise for me to think about where I wanted to be and all that, but but me being a I don't know if you're an enneagram, um, but three, so real achiever focused, and even in the strength finder, like all the personality profiles, super super achiever focused. Mm. I was like, no, okay, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this now. If this is how God usually leads leaders, I'm gonna go this way, and I, you know, and I had my entire life, Christina, and my entire life planned out until we were like eighty something, and mm. it's not that I thought I'd die when I was eighty. Right, <laughs> but I just kind of planned it up and dulled them, and then uh, moment after moment happened, and then God eventually moved us down here. And even as we were discerning about coming down here and everything that's happened, literally, I've thrown that out. Now I'm glad I thought through it. I'm really great, grateful for that material, and I I do highly recommend it as well. But I had to th defining moment wise, I had to throw that out because my natural personality bent was I love to control. I love to strategize. I love to make my own way. And I was too reliant, I think, on that. And mm. I think when I rely too much on that, ambition takes over, mm. right? And and the ambition, there's nothing wrong with ambition, but you, it needs to be sanctified, mm. right? It's There's yeah. this ambition where you have your you're living your life with your hands open and you're saying yes i want to do this yes i'm going to keep on learning yes i'm going to go this but but literally if am i okay if god takes this all away 
Mm -hmm. right? I was even talking mm -hmm. to a church planner yesterday. I was like, okay, I know your plan is to get to this number to do this and, and to, you know, to launch your church that way. I, I, I get that. And I'm not saying that I, that's wrong or that, I mean, there's so many different models of how, I mean, there's nothing wrong with a 50 person church, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with launching a church plan and only being 50 people. There's nothing wrong with that, mm -hmm. but you should be bivocational. <laughs> right you mm. don't expect to get a full-time salary but there's nothing wrong i mean you can have transfer you can have 50 people that are passionate disciples of christ that are multiplying themselves and going in, into the mission field and planting their own churches there's nothing wrong with that but so so that when i was encouraging this guy i was like hey but i know you have this plan in your mind but you need to ask yourself if this doesn't come true Right. Obviously work to make it come true. If this is what you feel God's calling you to, but if it doesn't, will you still, will you still love Jesus as much as you love Jesus today? Mm -hmm. Will you still believe that he loves you as much as he loves today? And I think that's that open handedness where it's, yes, we need to make these plans, but seriously, would you be okay if God takes all of it away? Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. And if he's, and if you've never gone through those desert moments where he has taken it all away, uh, I think everyone will, if, you know, you, I mean, it's gonna, it's gonna happen, <laughs> mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm. It's gonna happen. And, you know, I'm just super gracious, you know, gracious to the Lord that it happened uh, back in 2010 when we left Korea, but man, mm. it's just the, 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 the depths of despair and of, you know, trying to figure out calling and trying to figure out just life and, does God love me? Does, you know, all that just crumbled to pieces in 2010. Mm. You know, I'm just super grateful that we went through that, even though I hated going through it. I'm super grateful mm. that we went through it because I don't think I would have been able to, to give up my strategic plan if I had not gone through that first. Interesting. You know, I was going to ask you how you were feeling at that time. And you sort of addressed that in some ways. And I'm just kind of wondering as you, um, as you remember it, how do you, how did, how did those pieces get picked back up or, or what did you do, uh, in response to what you were experiencing in that, in that really, as you were talking about despair and sort of this thing kind of falling yeah. to pieces. So, so how did mm -hmm. you, how did you respond to, to what was happening at that point? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, essentially uh, the ministry was growing in Korea and we were there for a couple of years. Um, and just all signs were pointing to growth and spiritual transformation, numerical growth. It was just incredible. And church politics, just everything, like we had to come back to Canada and it was the worst thing ever where it was, I just had a baby. We just had a baby and we were just emotionally just trying to wrestle through everything that had just happened. And it was like, am I called to ministry? Was it a mistake going to Korea in the first place? They're like, do I even know how to discern God's will? You know, where's my role in all this? Where's my fault? And it, it, it basically came back to Canada, homeless, right? Moneyless, you know, broke, new baby, like four months old. Mm. I was like, you know, just, it was what in the world, living in, living in a room in my parents' house because we had nothing. And we had sold everything to move out to Korea because we were like, no, this is, you know, we feel God's calling us. I felt God calling us there. So it was just this, what do we do? So for me, my natural response as the husband, as a father was, I'm just going to go everywhere and apply to wherever I can. I just need to make money 
get out of my parents' house. I need to figure this out. And I just, I just, that was my, that was my default. It wasn't, mm. it wasn't spiritual reflection. It wasn't mm. emotional work. It wasn't any of that, even though I needed it. And eventually mm. I had to get there. I just was like, I need to get a job. Now it was interesting as we did that. And as I went along, no one contacted me back, even mm. from a fleshly perspective. And I recognized that this was wrong, but I was like, Hey, this church, have you seen my resume? <laughs> and you're not even calling me back you know there there's that pride that god sanctified i recognize that's what it was now Mm. right but back then i was like it's not how i saw it and i was like what's going on and it was months i think four or five six months of silence not even starbucks or costco or anywhere else that i'd apply to and i had retail experience i had restaurant experience right so it was just no one no one and it wasn't until one of my friends asked me to speak at their church, uh, young adults retreat at their church. Mm. That as I was preparing for that, I'm preparing the life of David. Eugene Peterson uh, wrote a book, Leap Over a Wall, Life of David. And he has a course that Regent, uh, like an audio course that I took. Mm. And it was working through those two where God just, and, and reading the book, A Tale of Three Kings, mm. where God just did some really, or he began doing some really deep work in my heart to see everything for what it was and to see my mistakes and to see where I went wrong and to see the pride of my heart and to see that, Hey, actually, you know, the biggest difference between King Saul and King David, Mm. King Saul never went through a desert experience. Mm. At least that we know of Mm. King David did before in the desert when Saul was chasing him. And later on in his life, when Absalom chased him out Mm. and you see, it's neat to have the record of the Psalms, and to see the, the fact that being in the desert moments, and mm. you know, some of your listeners might be in the desert moments right now, yeah. right? Don't, don't, I mean, obviously no one likes being in desert moments, but if you are, you know, don't try to get out of it sooner than you need to, because those are the moments where God deepens your prayer life mm-hmm. and shapes your character. Yeah. And you see that those two were the two things that were lacking in Saul's life. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And in fact, I've heard someone, uh, another a friend of mine say, um, even more pointedly, that no leader should be trusted until they've been through a season of obscurity. Um, wow. You know, wow. Along yeah. the same line. Wow. Um, and so that's really interesting that you bring that up, because it, it does seem to be a reoccurring theme. Um, about yeah, about not right. trying mm-hmm. to sprint out of the desert, but rather the wilderness. And, and, and we know this in Scripture, right? As you mentioned, that the wilderness and the desert places is where, are where people find God. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, you, and you're right. Listeners may be in their workplace and they're hating it. It feels like the life is being sucked out of them. Um, but that is the place where God wants to meet you. Um, right where yeah. you are and do something incredible in that in that season in that what play it feels like it's just that job that's sucking the life out of you um, that there is that is the prime place to be to see God move in in power um, Completely. In, you know so I appreciate you bringing that up I uh, kind of curious to know um, what are you what are you learning about yourself? What are you learning about leadership right now? Where, where do you feel um, you are really being challenged to grow in, in your leadership? Yeah. So I recently did the Berkman assessment 
and the Berkman is one that I'd heard about, uh, but I never done because you can't do it by yourself online. Like you have to have like a, a trained Berkman person facilitator do it for you. So it was really neat to, to walk through that and to learn some things about myself that I didn't know. Uh, kind of like what's happening as I look through the Enneagram and look at my core motivations. And my wife and I did an episode on that, not mm -hmm. really because we wanted, we wanted to help other people, but really we just wanted to learn ourselves. Mm, so yeah. when, you, when you think about all that, what was, what was interesting to discover about myself was that I am apt to make decisions quickly. I, I typically make decisions quicker than others. And as a result, and the thing about the decisions that I make, because in the strengths finder, I'm not an activator, which means I'm a strategic, which means here's point A, going to point B, what are all the ways to get there? And let's mm. choose the best way. So with that, with that, and also with the fact that I make quick decisions, mm -hmm. what I learned about myself is that when I make the decision, I'm not haphazardly making the decision. I've done a lot of thought, research, everything behind it. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. what I, in regards to leadership, how that affects me is that sometimes when I come to a team and I pose a question or we need to make a decision, I will ask the team what they think and I will include them or maybe make them feel like they are included in the decision, but I'm never going to bring up a question that I don't know the answer to. Mm -hmm. And I'm mm -hmm. not, and the interesting thing is I'm not maliciously saying I have everything planned out and now I need to include you in because someone said leadership is, you know, everyone has to own it. And that's not why I'm doing that. Mm -hmm. I genuinely want to know what they think and I want to, I want them to improve it. I want them to poke holes in it. Mm -hmm. But when I come as a leader forward, and especially when you have position and you pose the question and you and, and, and you have a really thought through answer that could actually come across aggressive, right? Based on how I communicate, or it could come across as why is he even asking the question when he knows the answer? Right. Cause I don't even want to ask the question when I have not thought through it first. Like, I'm just like, why would I do that to you when I don't even, I haven't even thought of it. So I've had to recognize that about myself, that when it comes to leadership, uh, my default is going to be, and I'm not going to stop thinking, right? My mm -hmm. default is I'm going to bring a lot of forethought, planning, all of that in, but I need to, when I remember, or when I think about, I need to try to bring people in earlier, earlier in the process that I'm comfortable with. Okay. And if I've forgotten to do that, when I do bring them in, I can't forcefully say, here's the plan. What do you think? because they, it might be the first time they've ever thought about it. So it's like, of course they don't have anything to add. So that's, that's been something that just in the last couple of weeks I've been wrestling through. Gotcha. Were there any, uh, were there any uh, yellow flags or anything previously kind of tipped you off? Um, maybe, maybe uh, in those scenarios previously where, um, you know, bringing it forth to the team, um, but you already kind of knew what the plan was ahead of time um and in and, and so maybe you were frustrated was this yes. a frustration okay. thing yeah so so this is this is a really fascinating thing to think about because especially because this is a second chair leadership podcast right so right i wonder if that's those are the patterns that i developed 
because I was a third chair or fourth chair or second chair leader. And I had my lane I swam in. And in order to lead up, I had to present plans that were bulletproof. Mm. The interesting thing mm. is when I now have position and I have authority and I bring about plans that may not be as bulletproof because I don't need to lead up when it comes to presenting that downward. Yeah. <laughs> right. It then comes across as, oh, why do I even need to think it? Daniel already has a plan and he's mm. the leader. So just got to follow along. No. Mm. Unless there's yeah. a huge level of trust. But then even if there is a huge level of trust based on their culture, based on their leadership style, they might not want to challenge or they might not want to bring anything up because everything's already sealed with a bow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so for you, are you, you, you're hoping then to create buy-in through, um, like you mentioned, open-handed collaboration, um, is that, is that essentially kind of what is it? Is that, is that what you're getting at Daniel? Yeah. You know, this, I'm working this out right now. Like mm. as, I mean, this is counseling, <laughs> <laughs> right? Cause it, essentially here's the issue that I have, right? If I come not being prepared, right. And I come without having thought through everything. If you have authority and you come that way, then some people may interpret the idea as command or the idea as this is what you're doing, even though it's just an idea. And it's like, I don't even know if I want to do that idea. Right. But some people might think just because I brought it up, you know, that, oh, no, I'm thinking about this. Let's go and do it. So then I might even frustrate people the opposite way. Mm. Mm. Right. Yeah. I, I, I think that the biggest thing is I just need to, the fact that I'm now self-aware of that. Mm -hmm. I think it's half the battle because I just wasn't aware of that. And I was like, why aren't people like, am I the smartest one around? Because no one ever gives me ideas on my ideas. And I'm like, mm. that's not, I am not the smartest person around. So why aren't people, mm. why aren't people giving more ideas? Why? I, I know there are holes. Why aren't people doing that? Mm. And it's maybe how I present it. That's coming across that way. Yeah, that's so good. Really good moment. Just something to process for each one of us about how we do bring ourselves into a room and with the, mm. the plans that we, like you said, is, you know, are we bringing in bulletproof plans and just expecting people to, to go along with what we're presenting here? Um, or, you know, do we, or we, like you said, is my posture one of such where I really need to put plan or prepare the team um, ahead of time so that when we come in and come together that I'm ready to receive um, what they have now been thinking about for a while and we're able to move this project or move whatever it is that we're working on together move it forward hopefully in an improved state um, hopefully it leaves the room that day in a better place than when it came in so that's that's excellent I appreciate you sharing that example about what you're learning about yourself and the challenges of leader, leadership right now and and um, I should have mentioned this earlier. Um, I'm not I'm not uh, uh, a certified counselor, but I do have a degree in counseling. So okay, you, go. you do good, good. <laughs> <laughs> so um, and so this is a great segue into the next question I wanted to ask you, which is, what do you hope those who follow you learn from your leadership these days, especially? It's 
it's it's it's the fact that my leadership is coming from a deep place of knowing god mm. you know not and and being in his presence mm-hmm. so for me when i come across and when i approach others and when i lead i can i can come with the research i i know that and i can come with the achievement and the you know look at all that i've done but that's all busy work unless god is in it mm-hmm. So for me is, am I spending time with the Lord? Am I worshiping him? Am I praying? Am I fasting? Am I connecting? Is, do I recognize that all of this could be taken away and that this is not to build my kingdom, but God's kingdom? Mm-hmm. So in light of all that, especially recently, it's been, hey, how do I make sure that I'm just digging deep, that I'm digging fresh wells? right? That I'm not going back to the well, the, the dry wells of yesterday that used to be flowing, mm-hmm. but I'm digging those fresh wells and I'm coming to them in, in complete reliance. And, I, and you know what, when, when you, when you have that and, and Josh, you know, there, you can tell, you can tell if someone's phoning it in, mm-hmm. um, especially in church leadership, because there is the spiritual component to it. Mm-hmm. And you can tell when people are just relying on the, you know, the wells of yesterday, the dry wells of yesterday, right? Uh, and they're phoning it and versus someone who is actively seeking God, not saying that you have it all together, but actively seeking the Lord. So that's, that's one of the things for me recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, this podcast um, has a couple of areas that like to ask every person. Um, and those, those areas, those pillars are courage and creativity um, for some leaders, uh, courage looks like taking a risk. Um, for others, it may look like rest, um, Sabbath, mm. or problem solving. Um, so when it comes to leading um, from a position with with authority, but mm. you're not the person in charge, what do we need to understand about courage? Wow, this this goes. I mean, you talked about counseling. This this goes deep, like into approval of fault. You know trying to get your daddy approval and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> it, like it, yeah. it can go super deep. Sure. Right. Sure. And there's the cultural side of it where for me being a Korean Canadian, there is just, you have to respect authority. Mm. Even if the people older than you are under you, mm. <laughs> right. There's yeah. a different level of respect that I always give, but just culturally and internally is like, I can't, I lead those who are older than me different than I do those who are younger than me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. And the older that I get, the more that I need to be just so self-aware that just naturally I see that. Yeah. Right. So in, in, in light of all that, I think courage, courage when it comes to leadership, especially from the second chair is, you know, having the courage to challenge, to, uh, to, to challenge those who are older than you even if they're under you, depending on your culture, to challenge those who are above you, regardless of their age. But I think courage is also is also giving opportunities for those who are younger and less experienced than you to lead and to mess up. Mm, yeah. Because sometimes when they're on your team and they mess up, you get the rap, right? You get and, and the courage is you cover them with protection mm. so that if let's say people are harping, you know, back, back on them because they didn't do well, well, you take, you take it. Mm-hmm. Don't blame it on them because you're the boss. You're the team leader. So mm-hmm. shouldn't you have prepared them better? 
Mm, right. <laughs> right. So I think that's, yeah, those are some examples of courage. That's great. Yeah, that's perfect. And I think too, based on some, some of the conversation, I think in my own life too, um, second chair leaders underestimate the unique value they bring to their teams and their organizations. Yeah. Um, but we all have creative superpower. And so curious to know and, and just hear some of your thoughts on how creativity intersects with the work that you do. Yeah. Yeah. Creativity is a going back to the Enneagram. I'm a three wing four and the four is the creative side. So I see that a ton in, in my leadership and, and in my side of where I just don't want to do things. Uh, I, I, I don't, I don't, I want to do things new and I want to do things fresh. And the fascinating thing about leadership, especially with the Berkman, uh, this is, it, it, it's fascinating because as a leader, you know, I'm, I'm a huge systems guy and I love building systems. And that came through on the Berkman. But what mm -hmm. also came through the Berkman is that I don't like it when I, when people build systems for me and I need to fit into them. Sure. <laughs> right. Sure. So it's like, that's, it, it was fascinating, mm -hmm. right? It was fascinating to discover that. Mm -hmm. So in light of creativity, I think creativity is I'm always trying to build new systems because I see how it can be done better, not one off, but I want to build the systems. Right. So part of that is recognizing, hey, I might be better at doing that than others, mm -hmm. but how do I do it creatively, right? And communicate it creatively mm -hmm. so it's not just a, you know, all this sucks and here's the better way to do it. Because I don't think that's the way. I mean, there's so many different ways you can get at something. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah. Yeah, that's good. Mm -hmm. That's really good. Um, as we kind of wrap up, Daniel, I'd love to kind of just get your quick gut responses to some questions. Um, it's kind of like the lightning round or the two minute drill, whatever you want to call it. Um, but the first one mm -hmm. I have for you is if you could grab a cup of coffee or your beverage of choice with any leader alive, who would it be and why? Who would it be? Who would it be? It would probably be, I would say, Erwin McManus. Mm. Uh, and the reason I'd say Erwin McManus is because I am, I, I love his communication. Mm -hmm. I love the way that he communicates, but it's been neat to see his progression with where Mosaic had been and how he stepped out of Mosaic, essentially, mm -hmm. not fully, but essentially for a few years and now how he's back mm -hmm. and how I, I would just love to, and I read everything he writes and, and I, you know, I just love learning how he communicates, but I would just be curious to know what God did in his heart and how he is seeing this next season of his life as Mosaic continues to grow and, and take a fresh stride and how he views succession because mm -hmm. his son wasn't a part of Mosaic before, but now his son is a pastor at Mosaic. So how does he view succession mm -hmm. in light of that and in light of his calling? Because I don't think it's you're 65 and you're done. Mm -hmm. There's, I, I don't think that. Mm -hmm. Yet there are some people who are 65 and need to hand the reins over. So I, I would just love to have a conversation with him about succession. Yeah, that's good. And what's one book in the last year that you've read that you would recommend every leader read? Yeah. Okay. So I consider listening, reading um, sure. as well. That's a different form of it. And this is, it's, it's, it's funny because the power of moments is probably what I would say. I've listened and I've read by Chip and Dan Heath. And that's, that's probably the, the answer that I would, I would say in general. 
But if I could add another one, Everything Happens for a Reason by Kate Bowler is fascinating. Okay. Because uh, she studied prosperity gospel churches uh, in, in, her, in her doctoral work. And then she encountered cancer. Mm-hmm. And she, there's this light, you know, everything happens for a reason, right? So mm-hmm. it's fascinating to hear from a woman. And I think not a lot of men read enough women authors, or not a lot of women will read both men and female authors, male mm-hmm. and female, but I don't think a lot of male read female authors. Mm-hmm. So to hear, to read, to listen her work on that, it was really good for me to work through and listen through. And it was a, it was a fantastic book. So, man, I could go on forever talking about books, but I'll throw it back to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I shouldn't get on that rabbit trail. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as an, I'm a fi- you've mentioned your Enneagram three, and I'm an Enneagram five. Um, okay, so okay. that's that's my that's my the world that I live in and uh, have yes. to fight really hard to get out of. So that, that's great. This, I'll add that to the list. Yeah, you'd, and uh, you'd be a good book editor. My editor is five. <laughs> you know, you know what? I think people need to realize that about Enneagram fives is that we love to dig deep into content into yeah. like we're the people that read the footnotes of things that we're fascinated by. Yes. And then we go out, we buy the book, we read that and check the footnotes and on and on and on it goes. Like we're really great researchers and editors. Um and and at the same time, that's also a really bad thing because it keeps me disengaged with people, which is one mm. of the reasons why I do this podcast, because it gets me out of my comfort zone and yeah, to have okay. real good conversations, even though like it may be somewhat scripted, right? Like you knew what yeah. I was going to ask you ahead of time. I didn't want to surprise you with anything and get myself in trouble later, um, you know, um, but it, it certainly gets me out of my comfort zone. And engaging with people in new and fresh, like you said, like new and fresh ways in different ways, um, because I'm not somebody who normally gravitates toward <laughs> hosting <Yeah>. a podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, that's so good. I'm the person that consumes a vast amount of podcasts. <laughs> so <That's> true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, what's one tool you can't live without? Oh, Evernote. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I've. I think 10,000 plus notes, everything is Evernote for me. So yeah, I can't, if that goes, I'm just glad it's like backed up to the backed up to the backed up mm. because yeah, yeah, that has everything for me. So great tool. Yeah. And, and, and what's one personal habit that makes you better? When I come home and it's always a struggle. Uh, when I come home, I try to be as present as I can to my kids and to my wife. And as much as sometimes you might have dinner things or things that you got to do here and there, I just really try to reserve that, those few hours that I have with my kids and wife uh, to really give. It's, it's really more about the kids than my wife because Christina and I will have other times to connect and all that, but mm-hmm. really try to be present to my kids, uh, especially as they continue to get older and they continue to become more self-reliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's something that I'm, that I'm trying hard to definitely imperfect at it but mm, <laughs> it's, like it's something that i'm uh, trying to yeah yeah another clever name for another podcast someday <laughs> yeah it's true yeah yeah well you have a lot of different irons in the fire so how can we follow along and learn from you uh in the future where can we find you on social and on the internet 
Yeah, so the easiest thing to do, danielm.com has all my links to everything that we've talked about, books, podcasts, all of that, all of that stuff. Uh, Instagram is, uh, Twitter is where I live the most, I think, online. But Instagram is something that I've really been enjoying more and more so. So mm-hmm. both of those handles are Daniel Sangi, S-A-N-G-I. That's my Korean name. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to connect online. Uh, yeah, so that's, you can learn more about me and all that stuff there. Good. We'll be sure to include those as well. Daniel, thanks uh, so much for talking with us today. I really appreciate all the ways you're adding value to leaders' lives through um, your, re, uh, your speaking and your writing and your podcasts. This has been um, the best 45 minutes of my whole week. Really appreciate you, my friend. Thanks so much. Thank you. And, you know, it's good that it's the end of, end of the week that you said that <laughs> rather than Monday. So this is awesome. You bet. You bet. Thanks again. All right. Thanks. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you liked what you heard, please feel free to share it with a friend or a coworker or anyone who you think would benefit from listening to the conversations that we're having about second chair leadership. And remember, you can lead creatively and courageously right where you are. Thanks for listening.